down. It says, we will promote the church's prosperity and spirituality in order to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. And so I want to look at those four words tonight, because if you were to come to me and say, you know, pastor, I'm interested in joining Elmira Baptist Church. What are some important things I need to know? These four words sum up sum up how, um, how we're different than many churches. Um, and again, we're not different for different sake. We're going to look at that. We're different because we're trying to follow uh, the scriptures. So if you would take your Bibles, uh, John chapter 4. And uh, Marcos, you were the last fellow I saw come in. Would you stand and pray for us? Ask the Lord to bless us tonight as we study his word. Amen. Amen. This is uh, intended to be more like a seminar than a lecture. So if you have questions or you have something you think would help us understand what the scripture means, feel free to raise a hand and uh, uh, don't just call out, raise a hand and then I'll ask you to contribute. Um, we're going to look at worship first and whenever I think of worship, I think of this passage in John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. Jesus has met the woman at the well. And what ethnicity, what nationality is that woman at the well? Anyone? Samaritan. She's a Samaritan, right. You know that. That's good, Ed. She's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew, so there's that between them. And this is a very uh, patriarchal society, so Jesus is a man. She's a woman. There's that between them. And yet Jesus carries on a conversation with her. And in the midst of this conversation, he teaches us, Jesus teaches us something very important about worship. So I'm going to read to you verses 23 and 24, John chapter 4. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me back up one verse. Ye worship, this is verse 22, John chapter 4. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, those of you that are newer to Elmira Baptist Church ought to know that most of the time when we do something uh, and, and have a particular way of doing it, there's a reason. We're not traditionalists in the, in, in the sense of we don't know what else to do, so let's just keep doing what we've always done. No, 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 no. We're traditionalists in the sense of we've looked at the scriptures, we understand what the scriptures teach, and so we're trying to, and we're human, so we're not perfect, but we're trying to follow scripture the best we know how. So notice what he says in verse 22, as we talk about this idea of worship, he says, ye worship ye know not what we know what we worship. Worship requires us to have a knowledge of the God whom we are worshiping. That's where all worship starts. We have to know who we are worshiping. And that's why it would be very difficult for your friend who's not a Christian, be very difficult for your friend or your neighbor, family member who is not a Christian to come in 
and enjoy the worship because they don't know God. They don't know who he is and they don't know their relationship to him. And so sometimes I get the feedback I get from folks at a visit is, well, you know, I just wasn't very comfortable at your, at your service. Well, I get that. I'm, I, I, that's not, I'm not trying to speak against them. I'm just saying you're only going to be comfortable worshiping God if you know who he is. Um, there's a lot I could say about that, but, but uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Secondly, worship focuses on God. He says, true worshipers shall worship the Father. True worshipers shall worship the Father. Our worship should focus on God. So tonight, it's a good example, we're singing a song. To whom are we singing that song? Not to me. I mean, I, I loved hearing your voices, but I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not the object of that song, right? You're not the object of that song. We don't sing because we like that song, or we don't like that song. We don't sing because, well, other people have sung that song. We, I hope you're thinking about this, as we sing, we are singing to God. We're exalting Him. We're talking about how great He is. Our worship is, focuses on God. So, let's imagine here, I'm going to pick on some, some things that other churches do. I won't go too far, Matt. I'm going to pick on some things other churches do. Don't, don't take it personally. If this is your style, just hear me out here. Let's imagine during our time of singing, I turn these lights down or even turn them off, and we have all the focus up here on the folks, whether it's one person or a worship team, on these folks here. What would you think was the object or the focus of that time of worship if those lights are off and these lights are on? Yeah, the people up here. That's why we leave the lights up, because it's not about the people up here. It's about you all. No, excuse me, the worship is about God. But it's you participating in the worship of God. We don't want the focus to be up here on me, or Scotty, or Caleb, or Billy, or any of the songs. We don't want it to be on the instruments. Warren doesn't stand because he wants you to notice he's playing his trumpet. Uh, he stands because he's more comfortable playing his trumpet that way. And Jack sits because he's more comfortable playing his trumpet that way. And both of them have asked me, do you care if I sit or stand? I don't care. It's not about the musicians. It's about God. And I appreciate our musicians. They're very good about that. They're not trying to, they're, they're trying to play in such a way that you don't even notice them. That, that's the goal. We're trying to lead the songs in such a way you don't even notice them. So you come in because you know who God is, you know your relationship to Him, and you come in to worship Him. The question is not, what do I like in worship? The question is, what does God like in worship? So when people say to me, well, you know, I, don't, I just don't like the songs you sing. That doesn't actually tell me much about God. It tells me a whole lot about that person. That for them, the worship has to be about what they like. And they've missed it. Now, I happen to enjoy these songs. I have to admit that. I, I do. I like them. But even if I didn't like them, I'd still sing them in praise to God. Music, the uh, worship, the music is not about what do I like, but what does God like. And worship is not an atmosphere that the church provides. I'm, I'm going to use that word church as a lot of people use it. That the organization, the pastor, the worship team provides. Worship is an attitude that you bring when you come. I hope you take time on Sundays to prepare your heart so that when you come into worship on Sunday mornings, you are awestruck by the amazing God that we serve. That there's an appropriate fear of God and a, and a reverence for Him. 
that you come eager to worship. You're excited to worship. You're enthusiastic as you're singing. Why? Because you get a chance to praise the God of heaven. Now you remember in the Old Testament, there were certain Levites who were designated as singers. And they would sing in the temple. And best I can understand from those passages, the, 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 the people that had gathered at the temple for worship, they didn't get a chance to sing. Only these special singers, these people who were uh, appointed, got to sing. You get to sing. It's not just me singing. It's not just a group of you. We get to sing. That should just thrill your heart that you get to sing praise to God. When we were uh, in Mongolia, it, this is a really long story, but let me try to shorten it to about 60 seconds here. When we were in Mongolia, we sent our daughter for a year to a Mongolian school. And just the school she got into was a rather prestigious school. We didn't really understand that at the time. So because it was the prestigious school in our town, the um, president of Mongolia came on opening day to give this little speech about the importance of education and to kick off the school year. Now, I was familiar with this idea that in Mongolian schools, they don't just start the school year with, you know, first class at 8.30 or whatever. They always have this big event, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a production. I did not know the president of Mongolia was coming to my daughter's school. So here I am, I'm at the school. I'm trying to support my daughter. She's there with her class. And, and uh, one of the, uh, during the ceremony, one of the children, one of the children in my daughter's first grade class walks up to the president of Mongolia and hands him flowers. And the teacher later said to me, she said, I really wanted your daughter to do it, you know, because my daughter was cute. She had uh, fair skin and, and blonde hair, right? really wanted your daughter, but she was too scared. I was like, I don't want my daughter to hand the president flowers. It, but she considered it an honor that my daughter would get a chance to give the president of Mongolia flowers. How much more are we honored when we get to praise the God of heaven? Far more important than the president of any country. Far more valuable our worship than giving flowers. So worship is the attitude that you bring on Sundays, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Um, we don't just sing because I don't know what else to do. We don't just sing because I like to sing. We sing because I want to worship God. I want to spend some time worshiping him. And worship is something that happens in the spirit. It says here, um, God is spirit, verses verse 24 here, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We believe, the Bible teaches us, in fact, in, in the, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says that God would sanctify us wholly in body and in soul and in spirit. So let's just do a little review here. What is body, soul, and spirit? What is our, what is, what part of us is our body? Let's start with the easy one. Christina, what part of us is our body? Oh yeah, just us, right? It's my arms, my eyes, my, this is me, this is my body. This is what you see. But we also have a soul. And what part of us is our soul? Anthony, you look like you're about to slide right out of your chair there. Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That looks better. What part of this is our soul? Uh, the conscious, your uh, aspect that allows you to reason. Yeah, right. Your your mind, your your heart, the the feelings you have, Daniel. Spirit. Well, we're gonna get to our third one, spirit, in a second. I'm gonna ask you. So, our soul is that part of us that is our personality. It's our reasoning ability. Um, and by the way, 
every person is born with a body. Because if you're not, if you don't have a body, <laughs> you're not a person, right? Okay. And you're also born with a soul. Which, you know, when you're born, you have a personality, you have the ability to think, you have feelings and desires. So you're born with a soul. But when we are born, the body tells us that our spirit is dead. And ye, um, let, let me go, let me look at it here because I've already forgotten it. Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us, And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. It wasn't your body that was dead. You were alive. Your body was alive. It wasn't your soul that was dead. Your soul was alive. But before you became a Christian, before salvation, your spirit was dead, lifeless. And then at that moment of salvation, God quickened your spirit. He made your spirit alive. Ed? That's Ephesians 2, 1. Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. So our, our body, our soul, starts out conscious and alive, but our spirit is dead until that moment of salvation. So what does that tell us? And I, I'm, I know I'm working at this backwards here, but what does that tell us about the unsaved, the unregenerate person? They come to our service, they have a body, obviously, and they have a soul, but their spirit is dead. How are they going to worship God in spirit when their spirit is dead. Now, you may not be aware of this, but there are churches, and I've talked to pastors who will tell you this, they'll say, listen, we want, to, we want to be that kind of church that unsaved people want to come to. Think about what they're saying. What would a church that's come to worship God in spirit have to offer to somebody who, whose spirit is dead because they're unsaved? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of not a whole lot of uh, 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 things held in common there. That's why it's important for us to go out with the gospel and see people saved. And then, yes, they need to be here. But they can't worship God in spirit until their spirit has been quickened, made alive. And Daniel, you know what? I said I was going to let you tell us about the spirit, and then I just raced right by that. Did you have something you wanted to add? Okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. I told him I was going to let him talk about the Spirit. So when we are talking about worship, we're talking about a spiritual exercise that people who are not regenerate, people who don't, have not been quickened, not been, their spirit has not been made alive, they're not even going to understand. But there's a second important aspect, and that is, what does the Bible, here's the question, what does the Bible tell us is constantly warring against our spirit, constantly struggling against our spirit? What what is it? Yes, Marcus. Flesh. Our flesh. So day by day, I'm making choices whether I feed the flesh or whether I feed the spirit. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you whether I'm feeding the flesh or whether I'm feeding the spirit if, I, if I'm just honest with myself. This morning, I started out my day wrong. I mean, I, I spent time in God's word. I'd spent time in prayer, but my attitude still wasn't right. And I started complaining to the person who is closest to me, my wife. My wife didn't do anything. She just happened to be standing there. And you know what? I immediately knew I'm feeding my flesh. I'm just, I'm just feeding the flesh. I've got to stop this. <laughs> I've got to choose to feed the Spirit. Now, I share that little illustration with you. So as a church, and that's us, we are the church, we want to be very careful about the 
methods we use to worship so that the methods we use to worship doesn't feed the flesh, but it feeds the spirit. Marcos. The words that we, that we speak, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Thank you, Marcus. That's a good uh, verse about worship. Yes, Ed? Well, for example, what methods? I mean, do you know at the top of your head? Or? Uh, of, of worship? Yeah, methods. Yeah, right. So we want to choose music that feeds the spirit, not music that feeds the flesh. Right. Right. Um, I always get a kick out of out of um, churches that meet and part of their worship is, you know, smoke machines and laser lights. Because I'm not really sure how that would feed the spirit, right? Maybe, maybe it feeds their spirit in a way I'm not uh, familiar with. But it seems to me like it's all about the visual effects. And anytime it's about visual effects, it's about feeding my flesh. Yes? Now, when you're feeding the spirit, like when you're in the beginning, when you're first starting off, that's probably something that may not feel good. Yeah, you're right. It isn't. It, you're not comfortable with it. It's not going to feel natural because you're not used to feeding the spirit. It's going to feel a lot more natural to feed the flesh, and that's the struggle we have as Christians. Warren, we've been to a lot of churches. Sure. I love this. Yes, please. Um, it's, it's about creating that emotional, that visual mm -hmm. response mm -hmm. to what's happening and the the laser show. It's all about continuing to feed that visual. Right. No, you're right. And even the choice of their music. Um, uh, Warren knows much better than I. Uh, even your choice of chords and your choice of melodies is either going to feed the flesh or feed the spirit. It's not about any one instrument. I was listening to an organ being played really rockabilly. It was pretty amazing that you can get that out of an organ. But you can do anything wrong with any instrument. It's not about a set of instruments. It's about the, the, the music it's, it creates. And it does have an emotional effect on us. And that's why, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've walked into a person's home before and they're partway through a movie and I've not seen the movie. I don't know what it's about. I don't know the plot or anything. But you almost feel like you're going to cry <laughs> because the music in the movie is telling you this is a sad scene. You don't need to understand the plot. You don't need to see what's good. You don't even need to have, be looking at the screen to understand you're supposed to be sad. Or you can walk in and, and there's happy music playing and you just feel a little bit better about life. So he's right. We've substituted the emotional for the spiritual because we can do the emotional. Uh, musicians can do the emotional. Musicians are really good at doing the emotional. And, and we can do the emotional. We can't do the spiritual. I can't, I can't make you worship God in spirit. But if you're a good musician, you can make me feel sad or make me feel happy or make me feel angry or make me feel good. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with music. And so we've substituted the emotional for the spiritual. Watch out for that. Here's how you'll know the difference. You'll go in to a service, and you'll definitely feel a certain way. 
but it won't help you Monday through Saturday. Because as soon as you leave that service, the feeling is gone. As soon as you leave that place, the feeling is gone. And it's not, a, our, our walk with God is not a feeling, although you do feel a, way, a certain way when you walk with God. That our walk with God is a conscious decision. Yes, Cindy. I wasn't sure if you were rotating your shoulder or raising your hand, but you're doing great. Yeah, because, well, I don't like the word feed when you're talking about oh. worshiping because it, it should promote God focusedness as right. feeding something. Because, uh, let me make sure I clarify here. Yeah. Let, me, let me clarify. So when you hear this word feeding, you understand we're talking about what, me. Right, right, right. That's right. Just me. No, thank you. You're right. Yeah, the, the focus is on me. What do I like? What feels good? Yep. Yep. Worshiping God, focused on Him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, thank you. Good. Uh, let's not use the word feeding when it comes to appropriate worship. No, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Daniel. Good. Thank you for your input. This is, this is a, very helpful to all of us. So that's our worship. And we do worship differently here at Westgate. I just did what I keep kicking Billy for. We do worship here differently at Elmira than many churches do, and that's fine. Uh, I, I don't need to answer for those other pastors. I don't feel it's my job to go around to churches in Vacaville and tell them this is right music, this is wrong music, this is right worship, this is wrong music. But I know what God's given me responsibility for here. And from time to time, someone says to you, well, your worship is sort of strange. It's sort of different. Yeah, that's, that's Elmira. That's, that's how we worship God. And uh, encourage them to, to consider um, whether their worship is inwardly focused, me-focused, or whether their worship is God-focused. There are two ordinances that Elmira Baptist Church observes. What are those two ordinances? Anyone remember? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the baptism is a one-time thing. You, you do after salvation. The Lord's Supper is something that we observe uh, from time to time. Here we usually seven, eight times a year sort of space it out. I'm trying to, one of the things I'm trying to do with our Lord's Supper is, is choose an evening when we don't have other things pressuring us so that as we approach the Lord's Supper, we don't feel like we're in a hurry. I'm not trying to get this done with because we've got to get home or we just took an hour and a half. Try to shorten my sermon up a little bit so we can focus on self-examination, which is part of the Lord's Supper, and then thanking God and worshiping Him for uh, His Son's sacrifice. So baptism and the Lord's Supper. I've taught on those before. Um, by the way, I also taught on worship before. So if you were not with us in August and in September on Wednesday nights, um, I did four lessons on worship and I go into a lot more depth on, on those things. So if that would be a help to you, go back to Sermon Audio and look for the Wednesday night messages. Um, the Wednesday night messages. In fact, I gave it a series title. I think I called it Summer Worship Series is what I called it. So you can look, look that up. Discipline. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 5. And uh, let's talk about discipline because this may be a little bit different than other churches that you've been to. Um, and I, I do want you as, as members of Elmira Baptist Church to understand what we mean when we talk about church discipline. So I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11. And again, I'm moving through this quickly because I'm assuming you have this, this foundation of understanding. But don't hesitate to raise a hand and add something or ask something 
So I don't want you to misunderstand. 1 Corinthians 5.9, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. And if you read the whole chapter, you'll see that there's a particular member of this church at Corinth who is uh, living in sin, who's breaking a clear commandment of Scripture. And instead of this church being heartbroken and saying, we've got to deal with this, they're actually pretty proud of it, that they can let this guy be a member of the church even though he's such a wicked man. And I, I, I'm not sure exactly where they square that circle. But I will say this, that you'll hear a lot of people talk about love today as if love tolerates everything. And if we truly love people, we can tolerate anything. And that's not true love. True love expects the best out of people by God's grace, not just let them do what they want. The example I always give is if I have a four or five-year-old son and he asks for a hunting knife for his birthday, do I really love my son to give him a hunting knife at four or five years old? No. No, he's not going to be a very good user. I mean, what, what's he most likely to do? He's most likely to cut himself. Now, Warren's looking at his wife because he probably got a hunting knife at four or five. I can just see Warren's family being that way. We bought one for Cutler, but it's still in the package. Oh, okay, in the package. Okay, good. Okay, good. Good. Um, the point is that some things are dangerous. And when it comes to sin, sin is destructive. And if we truly love someone, we don't let them continue in sin as if true love is, is just tolerant. We want, we, want to, we want to confront their sin so they can, by God's grace, be free of that sin. And that's what true love is. So don't be, don't be deceived when people say, well, you need to be more loving. What do you mean by that? Well, you need to let you know, wicked people into your church. No, true love doesn't allow for wickedness. True love asks Christians, and that's what he's talking about here, asks Christians to live up to God's expectations for them. Because God's grace is sufficient. That's what the, the gospel teaches us. To me, this is so exciting. The gospel teaches us that we can live free from sin. That's what the gospel teaches us. The gospel does not teach us that we can do any sort of sin and be forgiven. Yes, that's a part of it. But the gospel is more than that. It's that we can live free from sin, not continue to live in sin. So, um, so when it comes to church discipline, the purpose of church discipline is to purify the church. In verse 7, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. He says, You're going to have to remove this man from your church because his sin is corrupting the whole church. And there'll be times, and the reason I bring it up now is because I'm not aware of this issue, but there'll be times when we have a member of our church who is sinning, and, and we approach him, and I say him, could be a woman, but him about sin, and he says, nope, I'm not going to change, I'm not going to repent, then God asks us to remove him from the membership of the church, and not just to remove him, but also not to have company with him. Now you say, well, there's a lot of sinners I know at work, and what am I supposed to do? Remember, this passage isn't talking about those people who are not part of our church. You, yeah, you're going to be around a lot of wicked people. 
And you, you can't help that. We can help whether wicked people are members of Elmira Baptist Church. Now, I want to address an issue that maybe some of you have heard before, and I want to make sure you understand clearly. I had a man tell me one time, a, a pastor tell me one time, he said, uh, I have some members of my church, they're under church discipline, and yet they were still members of his church. That is not church discipline. Church discipline isn't, I'm mad at Marcos, so, you know, don't talk to him. No, church discipline is Marcus is sinning, so we have removed him as a member. He's no longer a member. You cannot be a member of a church and be under church discipline, is my point. Church discipline is to remove that person from membership. And then treat them as if they are a pariah, because here they are claiming the name of Christ, and yet they're continuing to live in a way that brings disrepute to the Lord. And when they've been confronted, they're not repentant. Let's look at that issue of confront, uh, confrontation in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Because again, church discipline isn't just, oh, I see someone doing something wrong, I'm kicking them out. No, there's a, there's a process that we will employ before anyone is removed as a member of Elmira Baptist Church because of sin. Here in Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That's Galatians 6.1. So according to Galatians 6.1, what is the purpose of confronting this man, this brother who's been overtaken in a fault? What's the purpose of that? Marcus, restore, restoration. The purpose is not to beat him up. Purpose is not to make a mockery of him. No, the purpose is to bring him back into fellowship with the church and back into fellowship with the Lord to restore him. So the first thing that would happen if we have a member who is sinning, and it, it has to be a public sin. Why does it have to be a public sin? Because how will we know about it if it's a private sin? Okay, so it's got to be a public sin. We have a member who's publicly sinning, and we approach that member and we say, hey, you're doing one of these things. You can't do that. He'd have to say to us, well, I'm just going to keep doing that. I don't care. Because if he says, you're right, I'm heartbroken. Forgive, forgive me. Ask the Lord to forgive me. Help me. You know, he obviously wants help. Then our job is to restore him. Not to boot him, to restore him. That's the goal. So we're looking for, there's two words that I want you to keep in mind. We're looking, when a, when a person is publicly sinning and we're confronting that public sin, we're looking for repentance. We're looking for restoration. Repentance and restoration. And where that's possible, we don't need to bring it up anymore. Let me show you one other passage here, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, uh, to help you understand that once a person has been repentant and they've been restored to fellowship, we don't say, yeah, you remember last year when we had to, you know, rebuke you? Remember last year when you were doing this wrong? We don't keep bringing it up. Here in First Peter, not First Peter, James chapter 5, verse 19, James 5.19, I think I said 1 James, there's no 1 James. James 5.19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. Now, I, because they're called brethren at the beginning of the verse, don't misunderstand and think convert there means salvation. This person's already saved, but they've erred from the truth. Now you've brought them back into fellowship. That's the idea of converting him. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
I don't remember, I don't recall that we've come across it yet, but there's also a, a proverb, must be in chapter 18 or beyond, that talks about love covering a multitude of sins. That verse, love covers a multitude of sins, this verse here that, that a person who converts a sinner from the air of his way shall hide a multitude of sins. Don't misunderstand and think what we're talking about is sweeping problems under the rug. When you sweep problems under the rug, guess what happens? It gets worse. It festers. It, 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 then it explodes. We, no, we don't sweep problems under the rug. But what we do is after a person has repented and after they've been restored, they're not a second class member. They're not like, well, you remember the time that you did that? You, you, you're on probation. There's no probationary members here at Elmira Baptist Church. You're either a member or you're not a member. And we don't need to bring up sin all the time. We had a situation in Mongolia. Uh, there was an abortion. Uh, terrible situation. But you know what? There was repentance. There was restoration. And we just didn't bring it up. Right? We didn't say, yeah, that woman over there, she had an abortion. I don't know that the other church members even knew about it because it was able, we were able to handle it in such a way that we, we just, it didn't have to become public. And that's always our goal is restoration. Marcus? Proverbs 17.9? Is it? Is it chapter 17? Oh. oh, okay, go ahead. Would you read it to us, please? He that covers the transgression seeketh love, but he that is not the verse I was thinking of, but that's an excellent verse that says the same thing. Read it to us one more time. <laughs> oh, you, uh, he that covers the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth matter spareth very friends. Separateth very friends, right. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. Again, this is not talking about we're going to sweep sin under the rug and not deal with it. This means we've dealt with it, it's been dealt with, and now we're not going to mention it anymore. But if you keep repeating a matter, you know what you're going to do? You're going to separate friends. You're going to drive a wedge between people. And as a, as, a, as a family, and I mean that as a church family, our goal is not to have wedges between us. Our goal is to be unified around the truth. Scotty. Yeah, and where, where is that exactly? Okay, so I did, I did read it and I already missed it. Proverbs 10, 12 also speaks about this matter. Because you know what we like to do? When, when somebody has done something wrong, especially if they've wronged us, what we like to do when we're in the flesh is we like to save that up for ammunition the next time we have an argument. And then when I'm, I'm going to pick on my friend Peter here, next time Peter and I have an argument, we've never had one, but let's imagine we have an argument, I'm going to say, Peter, you remember that time that you... Right? And then Peter says, yeah, but Scott, remember that time that you, right? By the way, that never seems to solve the argument, does it? It just makes it worse. But that's what we like to do. And that's the opposite of what these verses are talking about, where love covers a multitude of sins. It's not that it sweeps sin under the rug and you just keep on sinning and I love you anyway. No, it's the sin has been dealt with. You've asked for forgiveness or I've asked for forgiveness. We've been forgiven and now we don't need to bring it up again. And if that's the way you argue with your spouse or with your child or with your parent, heaven help you because you're only going to make it worse. Okay, uh, that's not on today's lesson. Discipline. Any other questions about discipline here at uh, Elmira Baptist Church? Daniel. You mentioned how like, 
once they're kicked out, they don't repent. They're like to be shunned, right? Yeah, they're to be shunned, right. Are they ever able to come back and restore? Like That's an excellent question, Daniel. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. The goal, even in the shunning, is that there would be repentance on the sinner's part so they could be restored. Yeah. Now, there have been times, in, in my observation, they've never repented. They've just never been restored. But there have been other times, uh, in fact, I was reading about a case today where there had been sin, church discipline, they're no longer a member, this church is shunning them, but then they come back and they say, I've been wrong. I, I, I've sinned against God. Would you forgive me? There's forgiveness and restoration. Yeah. Peter? Let's go there. Matthew 18. Yes. I was hoping to get to doctrine tonight, but we're not going to, and that's okay. Doctrine is very important. But let's go to Matthew 18 and look at verse 17, because what Peter is bringing up here is, is yes, is critical. Uh, let, let me, yeah, it's critical. Matthew 18, 17. And um, thank you, Peter, for directing us in this direction. Um, let's pick it up in verse 15, Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So this happens to me from time to time. I'm going to, again, pick on Marcus and Peter. Let's imagine Marcus comes to me and says, you know, Peter said something that really hurt my feelings. You know, my job as a pastor is to say to Marcus, have you talked to Peter about it? Because it doesn't say, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go tell your pastor. It says, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So before you come to me with a complaint about a fellow brother or sister in the church, go to that brother or sister and have that conversation. Now, I know it's awkward. I know it's hard. But that's where we always start. Ed, you had a question or comment. Yeah, um, well, there's certainly a way to do this, right? I mean, you just, I mean, it, it, it sounds real easy. You read it, you know, piece of cake. Well, let me go try it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to backfire. Uh, you're the new Guillermo. You're constantly throwing sand in my gears here. <laughs> because I've done this. I've no, done no, you're right. You, you're exactly right. Life. Yeah, you're exactly right. There is a way. But, I mean, I think I'm, I mean, there's something I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. tried it even with my brothers, but, you know, I've decided I'm just going to uh, close my mouth and just try to learn more. So, Ed, without getting too deep into, onto that side, we are talking about within a church. And what you have within a church is you have grace to confront your brother, and your brother has grace to listen to you. Okay. That isn't necessarily in a family if you're family members are not saved. This is a big difference because we had a situation in Mongolia where there were these two missionaries. One came to Mongolia about a year or two later. Another missionary came to Mongolia and they got in this big argument and they were not talking to each other. And here's what was really bizarre about it. They were sent out by the same church. Now, missions and missionaries were all human. But you know what that pastor needed to do? He needed to say, okay, you two need to come back from Mongolia until you can work this out, 
Or one of you is going to have to not be a member of the church because I can't have members who are not talking to each other. And that's true here at Elmira too. You know, if I find out that here's Lance and here's Daniel and they're not talking to each other because there's some offense, as a pastor, I'm going to come to Lance, I'm going to come to Daniel and say, we're going to, we're going to get this figured out. Because that's what a church does. And Ed, you're right, that's hard. But we have, Daniel has grace. And Lance has grace and I have grace. We, we can deal with these issues. And that's the difference. If You know, you're right. I've had some neighbors. They're not going to listen to me. I'm going to go to them and I'm going to tell them. And then they're just going to curse me and, you know, yell at me. And so maybe you're right. Maybe I just don't say anything to them. But not in a church. Peter. So, Pastor, what I was trying to do, I didn't mean to take it into that, is in verse 13, <laughs> it says, if you neglect to hear the church. Right. But go back to verse, yes, read verse 16 to us, would you? Yeah, yeah. But read verse 16. So the first thing you do is you go to the, your brother, you and him alone, okay? Just the two of you. Second thing you do, if he won't listen to you after that first encounter, what's the second thing you do, Peter? And in 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Mm-hmm. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Right, so you're going to find another Christian brother. This is where you might come to me. Okay, I went and I talked to my brother, and he's not listening to me. And maybe I'll go with you. Maybe one of the deacons will go with you. Maybe one of the other mature men or women will go with you. There's, there's an issue of having a witness because that's what the Bible says. But I've also found that from time to time, I've been offended by a brother. And I go to that brother and I try to get some resolution. There's no resolution. So when I go to my other brother, Marcos, to get help, right? I say, Marcos, I talked to him. He, he's not listening to me. Marcos says, you know what? The problem's with you, Scott. Oh. Oh, 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 I see now. And see, Marcos can help me see that the problem isn't really between the two of us. The problem is in my heart. So when you go to get someone else to go with you, listen to their counsel. If you, if you trust them enough to go to them, trust them enough to listen to their counsel. Ed? Real quick, I, just, I think I just had a moment of clarity. Good. <laughs> Not everybody's my brother. Yeah, you're, you're right. In this application, your brother is your Christian so, brother. Yes. You know, Right. Not everyone is your brother in no, this no. context. <laughs> Ed, I love you. So glad God brought you to our church. <laughs> Warren. Right? That's a good point. I never thought about that, but you're exactly right. We're going to pick that up. I want to I stop here because Peter's right. We haven't even got to the part about taking to the church. And I want to spend some time on that because when church discipline does happen, it's always traumatic for the church. Because you've got a Christian brother, you've got a Christian sister, and now you're going to, it's almost like removing them from the family, so to speak. And it is traumatic. And so I want you to understand how the process works. Let's pick it up next week. Um, prayer.